I love that song because, I don't know, it reminds me of how great and incredible and amazing the love of God is. Even though I've been unfaithful, I've been unworthy, I've been unmerciful and teachable, sometimes I've been unwilling and Sometimes I've been undesirable, I've been unwise in my decisions and some of the things that I've done. I have never been unloved by God. Somebody needs to know that today. Somebody who's been unfaithful, somebody who's been unmerciful and unreachable and unteachable needs to know today that they are still loved by God. And if you hear that today and something inside you goes, well, that's not the way that I was taught being raised in the church. I was taught in the church that God loves me because I am holy. God loves me because I'm faithful. God loves me more when I'm, I'm merciful, and God loves me more when I'm teachable and I'm willing and I'm, I'm wise. Well, listen, then you were taught religion, but you weren't taught the Bible. You were taught rules, but you weren't taught relationship. Because when you look at the Gospels, the folks who followed the rules and, and not the relationships were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and, well, they killed Jesus. So don't live like a Jesus killer, okay? Or somewhere in your heart or in your head, you're like going, well, you don't know the things I've done, Pastor. I mean, you, you can't imagine, you just can't even begin to imagine how, how terrible and awful and carnal and sinful I've been. And so God could never love me because of what I've done. Because I've been so unfaithful and so unworthy and so unteachable and so unwilling. Well, I got news for you. That's not in the Bible either, that you are unloved because of that. Probably the one you're listening to who's speaking to you, if that's what's going around your head this morning, is the devil. That's the enemy. And by the way, he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He wants... So he, he wants to take you down. And so don't commit spiritual suicide by listening to the enemy who says that you have been unloved by God, that God can never love you because of what you've done, because you and I have never been unloved. And that's the thing about grace. We're in this series, Amazed by Grace, and that's what grace is. It's amazing. It's incredible. We started last week trying to define grace, and we said we don't, what is grace? Grace is the undeserved and unearned favor, the unmerited favor of God. And we talked about how every step of following God is a journey of grace. Grace begins long before you ever become aware of it, long before you ever chose to follow God. His grace was reaching out to you. His grace comes before his grace saves us. His grace sustains us. His grace is sufficient for us no matter what we're going through. His grace sanctifies us. It enables us to live in such a way that we don't have to give in to sin and be enslaved by evil. Grace frees us. And grace is something that he gives to us to share with one another so that we might not just get along and we might not just build each other up, but that we might actually work together to glorify God. That kind of grace-giving is, well, it's in short supply in our world today. There's only one grace, but we experience it in many different ways. And that's what we're talking about. Today we're talking about provenient grace. It's that grace that goes before us. It's, it's the grace of God that... It doesn't begin at the moment of salvation. It precedes even our awareness of God, even our awareness of our need for God. 
We do not naturally seek God as human beings, but instead it's God who seeks us. God comes to give us grace so that we may come after him, so that we, uh, he pursues us so that we may become his children. His grace seeks us out and comes to where we are. And when you look at the Bible, story after story is the grace and the presence of God reaching out to us. Think back all the way to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they sinned, and when they sinned, what did they do? They hid from one another, and they hid from God. But what did God do? God came calling their name. God came reaching out to them, wondering where they were. God came seeking and searching for them. And that's been the story from the very beginning of the Bible to, the, to everything that's contained in here. It's that we have the story of God seeking us out. You remember Moses? Moses, man, he'd messed his life up, killed an Egyptian soldier, and then he ran away. And for 40 years he hid from the desert. But did he, was he able to get away from God? Oh, no. No, one day God came looking for Moses, and he came in a burning bush. This was long before cell phones. I'm sure if Moses had a cell phone, he would have called him, or if he had Facebook or something like that, he would have messaged him. But that's what God did. God showed up in a bush, and he said to Moses, I know you're out here hiding. I know you think you're a failure. I know you think I can't use you, but, oh, Moses, I got a job for you, buddy. And Moses said, oh, I can't talk right, I stutter, this. Moses gave all kinds of excuses, but God said, no, I want you to know I can use you. But I've messed up. Moses, that doesn't matter. I'm here. I'm seeking you out. Think of Elijah. Elijah, man, he ran. He was, so, he was scared for his life and he was depressed and he thought no one, else was no one else in the world was following God but him. He just had a huge victory for God on Mount Carmel. And then he ran for fear of his life and he went and hid in a cave. And guess who came to see him? God found him there. He came in, the, he, he came in a still, small voice. And he said, Elijah, you're not by yourself. Elijah, you're not alone. I know you've been running from God. I know you think you're hiding in this cave and nobody knows where you are and you think you may have run away from me, but I want you to know, Elijah, I can use that. The grace of God would reach out to Elijah in that cave and say, come on, I got stuff for you to do. And story after story in the Old Testament of God calling. You remember the psalmist, Psalm 139? He said, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. If, if I go to the far side of the sea, if I go to the darkest place in the world where I can't see my hand in front of my face, that's the Brian Davis version of it. If, uh, but, but if I go to the darkest, you'll still find me. You'll still find me because the grace of God seeks us out wherever we are. Look in the New Testament. Man, I think about how Saul, Saul was out killing Christians. Saul, who was the most Jewish of the Jews, he's out killing Christians. And what happened? God comes and finds Saul on a road in the middle of nowhere. And he tells him, I got a job for you. I want you to, you've been killing my people, and but I love you, Saul. And I got a role for you to play. I want you to be in my kingdom. And it changed his life. Changed his life so much that he changed his name to Paul. And he became one of the greatest missionaries the church has ever seen. I think about Peter, who failed Jesus three times, right? He told Jesus, Jesus said, you're going to fail me three times. Peter said, no, I'd never fail you. I'm, I'm with you all the way. And yet on that night, 
whenever they came and arrested Jesus, what did Peter do? He denied him three times. And then when it's all said and done and Jesus raises from the dead, what does he do? He goes and he finds Peter. He says, Peter, come talk to me. I want you to know, just the video that we saw last week, I want you to know, Peter, that I love you. And even though you've failed, and even though, I don't know, you may blame yourself, I, Peter, I want you to know I still care about you. My grace still reaches out to you. Feed my sheep. My goodness. Jesus' whole ministry. Jesus' life. He came down. He came down for us. For God so loved the world that God sent his only son. He came to where you were. He came into your life, into your skin, into your problems, into your circumstances. And he came to experience everything. And when he was here, when he was here, man, he didn't just hang out with church folk. Who came to him? Man, they, 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 matter of fact, the church folk thought he was unholy. Why? Because he hung out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and people that they considered unworthy and unloved. But God reminded them, I want you to know, I love you. I care about you. I care about your life. And then the ultimate. He goes and he dies on a cross. He who was without sin died for us, for you, for me so that we could be forgiven, raised to new life so that we could be empowered. That same spirit that, that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, when you're a follower of Jesus, lives in you, enabling you to be everything and do everything that God has ever called us to do and be. Romans 5, it's, Paul puts it perfectly. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might be willing to die for a person who is especially godlike, good, holy. But God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Long before you ever thought of coming to him, he's been coming to you. His grace that goes before, his provenient grace has been reaching out to you. Matter of fact, we believe, John Wesley believed in total depravity, the fact that you and I are incapable. We and I are incapable of our own of finding God. But it's God's provenient grace that comes and enables us to find him, that draws us to him, that calls us to be a part. We seek God only because he sought us first. It's only by the grace of God. In Acts 10, there's a story that demonstrates the provenient grace of God and, and kind of the ways in which God seeks us out. It's the story of a man named Cornelius who was a Roman army officer. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. But we find out later in the chapter that the Jewish people respected him. And even though he didn't worship as a Jew, he and his household respected God. And they were generous to those who were poor and they prayed often. And it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 3, that one afternoon about 3 o'clock, Cornelius had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, and Cornelius stared at him in terror. <laughs> what, is it, what is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. 
he is, he, is, he is staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. How does provenient grace work in our life? Well, God's grace can be seen, I think, in Cornelius' story, how he works at the crossroads in our life. Provenient grace works at the crossroads, those important moments in life when a decision has to be made, those important moments in life when choices have to be made, pivotal moments in life that change our direction, that move us a certain way and cause us to go a certain way. Sometimes those are obvious, right? Life-changing moments, like, you know, when you graduate high school or college and you go out and, and start a career. Life-changing moments when, you know, when, when you get married. All of a sudden you begin to think, well, you know, at this moment in our life, now that we're married together, are we going to do this by ourselves or are we going to ask God to come in? Are we going to ask God to move? I think God speaks to us at those crossroads. When you have a baby, are we going to raise this baby? As we raise this baby, we're going to need some help. Do we care about his, the baby's faith? Do we, care about, do we care about sharing, raising them in a Christ-like home? A career decision, a health crisis. When pe these are times when people are trying to listen to God. They're trying, they're trying in their own head maybe just to figure out life. We all have those moments where we're just trying to figure out life. Maybe it's when someone passes away. Maybe it's when we lose a job. But we come to these moments in life where we're trying to figure it out. And in those moments, God comes and speaks and works and moves. His provenient grace is present in our lives. I don't know what was happening in Cornelius' life. But, it's, but God chose a time. He chose a moment where he said, listen, Cornelius, I need to talk to you about something. He was praying. He was, had this vision. And he saw this angel. And and, and, and he's like, well, you know, obviously it's a moment, a crossroads when he's listening. Curiosity often is where God's grace begins to work at the edges of our lives. Cornelius, when this angel comes, he could have like, you know, ran out of the house and, I don't know, run away. But, but, but he chose to stay and ask the angel out of curiosity what he wanted. What does he need? I remember... Uh, I remember many times I've mentioned before when we planted our church that God would use curiosity. We would go out and, and paint faces at the, you know, at the county, at the city event. And we'd paint like 3,000 faces. And it was incredible to me for like two or three days on a 4th of July weekend sometime when, other, when people would choose to go on vacation or go do other things, we could gather enough people for us for two days to sit out there in the heat and paint kids' faces. And I would be out there and I would be talking with some of the parents because believe me, I tried face painting, you don't want me doing it. And uh, so, so I would stand and talk to people and I would hear people say, what are you guys doing? How are you, why are you guys doing this? It was the only free thing at the, at the fair, at the carnival. Why are you guys doing this? How did you get so many? Are you, have one guy said, what's wrong with you people? And it were awesome moments to say to them, oh, I just, we're just out here, man, because we want you to know we care about you and your kids, and God does too. We're just out here because of the love of God. God would use those moments. When we had our egg hunt, and it you know, rained and it was cold, I, I stood out here in the, in the lobby, and, and I, some guy came in with his kids, and while the kids were you know, finding out where to go and what to do, he said, I really thought you guys were going to cancel this today. He said, I, you know, I can't believe you. He, he said, you put eggs all over the place in here. And 
He said, what's wrong with you people? Again, what's wrong with us people? And it's just like going, no, man, listen, we just want you to know God cares about you and he cares about your kids, and that's why we're here. Curiosity, God will work. God will work on the edges when you're curious and you see something. God's pervenient grace is working and moving and speaking. Companionship is another way that he, he works. Cornelius' life, he, he was constantly bumping up against Christians, followers of Jesus. He was highly esteemed among the Jews, so he was no foreigner to people of faith. But notably, when pervenient grace led him to a revelatory moment, when he said, I want you to go and I want you to give, call this guy named Peter, who you don't even know, by the way, to come and join you. Often, God uses other people in our lives to speak, to talk to us, to love on us, to let us know that he cares about us. I remember, I remember when we planted uh, our, our campus up in Troy, Missouri, and there was a, one of the, the guys there, just several farmers in the church, in the congregation, and one of them, um, he, he needed some issues. He was having some issues on his farm, and so he called the MFA, and they sent out a precision agriculturalist specialist. His name was Bo Burgess. Bo had just uh, moved here from Ohio, and as they stood out there in the field that day and talked, Bo began to, they talked about their lives and where they were from, and he found out Bo was from Ohio, and Bo missed his family desperately. He, he wasn't married, he didn't have any kids, he didn't have any relatives out this way, he was a long way from home. And Larry, who was the farmer from our church, he said, well, listen, you ought to come to our church sometime. Just come visit and worship us. We're a really nice group of people. And uh, they're like family. And so Bo took the invitation and didn't really think about it much until a couple of weeks later, Bo's grandfather in Ohio passed away. And because of work commitments, Bo could not go back for the funeral. And he was really feeling low, and he was really feeling bad that he couldn't be with his family. And so on a Sunday morning, he just decided to go to church. He walked in right in the middle of the service. And he sat down, and what he found over the next few weeks was a group of people who would love him and care for him. That at this moment in his life, when he longed for companionship, when he longed for connection with other people, I can still remember about a, less than a year later, sorry, standing on the bank of a muddy creek in Missouri when we baptized Bo in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Bo went down under the water dead, and he came up to new life. And God has done incredible things in Bo's life these last six or seven years. And it's been incredible to watch. And where did it start? The Holy Spirit and God's prevenient grace reaching out to him in a moment when he felt alone in his life. For companionship, God uses relationships to reach us. He also uses conviction. Mm. Convictions, the grace that begins to align our lives to the kingdom of God before we've made that decision to make our kingdom home. It's really discipleship. Did you know discipleship doesn't begin when you walk in a classroom or, in a, or you know, if you walk, in, walk into one of our small groups? Discipleship begins long before conversion. God begins to tell you about him. God begins to move and God's Holy Spirit begins to convict and talk to you about your life. That's what's happening in Cornelius' life. He's going along and he's giving alms and he's praying. He's doing everything he knows to do. And the Holy Spirit steps up and says, I got something even better for you. And he, and he comes with conviction, the grace of God reaching out to him. This sermon series, uh, I 
talked to Shirley and to Hannah this morning. This sermon series was conceived of like in the fall, and then it just did not ever seem the right time to preach it. And then finally, I, we just, God just said, let's do, it, let's do it after Easter. And then we had a couple of delays and everything. I say all that to say that this morning, this message that I, that I had already thought about Tim Shaw because this, this illustrates Tim's life. This was Tim's testimony. But I didn't do it today. I didn't even think about this being the day that Hannah, we celebrate graduation of our seniors and some of the Shaw families here this morning. This happened this way. But Tim, if you remember his testimony, if you don't know, if you're, most of you here know Tim and remember Tim, and he was a leader in our church. And maybe those of you, though, that, you know, are online today, maybe you didn't know Tim. Last fall, he passed away after an accident, and we all miss him. And a few years ago, Tim shared the story of how he became a follower of Jesus. And there was a video made of it. And uh, Shirley, his wife, had us play it that testimony during the family time before his funeral. It was a powerful moment. And you can go on our website and watch it. Matter of fact, I'd encourage you to. I watched it again this week. And Tim's testimony was all about how God, in his provenient grace, reached out to Tim in the same ways that we're talking about. He was at a crossroads. Graduated high school, enrolled at Arizona State University, but still wondering what he was going to be when he grew up. And it led him to asking questions like, what, is it, what does it matter? He sought to talk to different people, but it didn't resolve it. He's trying to figure it out. And he did what we all would do in those moments when we question things. He got on a bike and rode to Alaska. <laughs> God was calling there. It was a crossroads in Tim's life. And God's grace was working in the middle of all that. And then God put all these people in Tim's path. Talk about companionship. I mean, these are Tim's words. Who would have thought that a man that he met in his hometown who moved to Alaska, that they would cross paths in Alaska, and God would use him to help bring Tim to Christ? And years before any of this began to happen, a man named Chuck would give his life to Christ and uproot his family to move to the Yukon Territory, and that Tim would meet him on a particular spot at a particular time on a particular day on the Alaskan Highway. Or that a couple on vacation who would be giving out gospel tracts, which people, though, we usually run from them. But Tim wanted something to read. And so, Tim, they took the tract and he began to read it over and over. God just kept putting people in Tim's journey. And Tim, who on, is on this journey of discovery and he's curious, every interaction that he had became more and more curious about God. And there were questions that no one else had asked him, but God was asking him, and he used people to do it. Like, what are you going to do with the guilt in your life, your, your impure thoughts, things that you're ashamed of? God was asking Tim, and these are in Tim's words, what are you going to do with your personal sin? That's a question of conviction. God's grace was reaching him in all these areas of his life and on his journey. And in Tim's words, who just would have thought that God would put all these things together? But that's what he does. Tim said he's the one true God who loves people, who wants people, who goes after people, and who does things to get people. Tim's defining provenient grace. And really, Tim's story, while unique in its element, because not everyone jumps on a bike to find Jesus when they're 18 years old and rides to Alaska, especially a tandem bike. I would 
taking a single seater. But anyway, even though that was unique, the rest of Tim's story is really common to us all. God's prevenient grace, working in the crossroads of our lives through our curiosity, through companions, through relationships in our lives, through his Holy Spirit, convicting us to follow him. That's the journey and the path that we all have taken. It's, it's Tim's story. It's your story. It's my story. God seeking us out. God coming to find us. And if you are not following Jesus, I want you to know that he is working in the same way that he did in Cornelius' life, that he's done in Tim's life, that he's done in my life, and everyone who follows Jesus. Oftentimes, you might not fully realize that he's working until you look around. Our resident theologian, Lonnie, on Wednesday night when we were having prayer meeting, said something more profound maybe than even Lonnie knows. <laughs> but he said, you know what? I look back and I, you just see along the journey God working and God moving and God doing things. And I look back in my life at the times when he wouldn't let go of me. Everybody else would. Nobody else had patience. Nobody else had a tolerance. But he never gave up on me. And for those of you who don't really want, for those of you who wonder if I'm saved or not, he's still working on me, okay? He's still calling, and he's still, his prevenient grace reaches out to us. His grace is calling out to you if you don't know him this morning. There's also a message. I don't have a lot of time to spend on it. For those of us who follow Jesus, Cornelius sent some men to get Peter and speak to his household. You know, we wanted him to come. Come talk to us. And while God was seeking out Cornelius, he was also working on Peter. We need to talk about that for a minute because God may be wanting to use you in someone else's life. We go on down in verse 11 of Acts 10. Peter's praying one day, and it says he saw the sky open up, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And in the sheet were all sorts of animals and reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to Peter, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter went, No, Lord, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws, all the Jewish laws forbade him from eating any of those things that were on that sheet. Imagine being invited to a picnic, and you can't eat anything. And so he says, Lord, I, Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. And the voice spoke again and said, do not call something unclean that God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Like, I know I'm slow sometimes, but Peter was. And Jesus did it, God did it three times. And then the sheet was suddenly pulled up into heaven. And Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? And just then, the man sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. And standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for him. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. <laughs> Don't worry, for I have sent them. As followers of Jesus, God wants us to be a part of sharing his grace with other people, especially his seeking grace to others. How can we be a part? Well, I think Peter tells us you've got to position, I think Peter's example tells us we've got to position ourselves. Position yourself. Peter was in a place of prayer when God spoke to him. 
Are you positioning yourself? Are you positioning yourself to hear God's voice and God's calling for what he wants to do, how he wants to use you to share his grace? See, if you're not spending any time in prayer, then you're not getting yourself in position to be used by God. And if you're not, attend, if you're not being a part of worship, if, if, you're, if you're not listening, spending time listening for the voice of God, you've got to position yourself to be able to hear. And then you've got to be responsive, secondly. God challenged Peter's presuppositions. For Peter, all this stuff was against his religion. All of this was bad. Gentiles were unclean. And even as, even as a Christian, Peter looked down on them as if they could not respond. No one believed you had to be a Jew in order to respond to the grace of God. And God is like going, Peter, listen, dude. Look, don't, don't call unclean. Don't say, what, don't say it's impossible when I say it's possible. I think that's why he told him, when you go downstairs, buddy, you do it, you go with them without hesitation. In other words, you ever done that with your kids? Like, I don't want to hear it anymore. You go do what I ask you to do. Despite your presuppositions, despite your biases, despite all those things, I want you to go. In my years as a follower of Jesus, and I grew up in the church, listen, I've seen a shy away from divorced women back in the day. And people with tattoos, and guys with long hair, and girls with short hair, people who struggle with alcohol or smoking, or even their own sexual identity. But God's grace is just as real and needed in those people's lives. How dare us say the grace of God is not available to them? How dare us call something unclean that God has said is clean? How dare us say God can't reach those folks? How dare us say that we won't be a part of it? And if, if you're watching this morning online and you're deconstructing your faith, I get it. But what I'm going to say to you this morning is, is that don't let the actions of a few determine. God loves you. He calls to you. He comes to you. He wants you. And I don't care what you've done. If you're watching, did you know this morning, right now, on the internet, somewhere this week, somebody might be watching this in jail. God bless you and get you out soon. Uh, you could be in any kind of circumstance and say, I don't care. God still loves you. And I would hope that as a church, I don't care who walks through those doors. I don't care who moves in next door to you. I don't care who the co-worker is in the next cubicle. And I don't care whether you disagree with their lifestyle. And I don't care how horrible and terrible they think you are. God might be calling you to let his grace run through you out to them. How dare us be the ones that stop it. I don't want to be that person. The grace of God is for everyone. I remember Lou's grandmother. She is a Bible missionary, was Bible missionary. And um, so, you know, I thought when she, when Luann married a preacher, she was going to be happy about it. And I may have told you before, every year, we're, we're married. I got my degrees. I'm ordained in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm pastoring a church. And every year, I would get in the birthday card, $1 bill and a salvation track. Because she believed that I could not be redeemed and have facial hair. She would think Pastor Darren is the biggest sinner of all. <laughs> they asked me to do her funeral. <laughs> and I did it. And I waited the whole time just waiting for her to sit up and say, get that guy out of here. 
Who are we to hold back the grace of God? I did some bad stuff when I was a teenager, when I fell away from God. And I'm so glad no one restricted the grace of God in my life. I wouldn't be here today if they had. Don't restrict the grace of God. Obedience. When the men came, Peter did what the Holy Spirit said, and he went right away. He didn't know he didn't have he didn't have any hesitation. And you heard him. If you go on and read in the chapter, you find that when he went to their house, he understood that he could get in really big trouble for being in their home. But he did it anyway. Because that's what God wanted. And then the last thing, when they got to the end, the whole household got saved. And what did Peter say? Hey, who's gonna we need to baptize these folk? He embraced them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we need to be people. What could, the, what could God do in this world if we were a people who positioned ourselves to be part of sharing his pervenient grace? If we responded the way that Peter did, and if we would discard our bias and engage God's grace wherever it's given, if we would be obedient to share with others and embrace what God is doing in the world. Pervenient grace is God chasing after you. And he's chasing after you this morning. And if you're a Christian, provenient grace reminds us that he's working long before you and I ever show up. He just asks us to join him and partner with him in what he's doing. Are you willing to be a partner in what God's doing in the world? If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to know that he's coming after you. His extravagant love has been seeking you your whole life. He's at the crossroads using your curiosity, your companions, they're convicting you. He's reaching out to you. All he wants you to do is surrender. Now, I know it's been a long morning, and we've got to beat the Baptist to the restaurant, but I need to share this with you this morning, and then we're going to pray. It's a story I, I read this week, and I thought it fit today. It's written by Timothy Paul Jones. In the title of the article is Because I'm Yours, it's a true story about an adoption. He said, I never dreamed that taking a child to Disney World would be so difficult or that such a trip could teach me so much about God's outrageous grace. Our middle daughter had been previously adopted by another family. And I'm sure this couple had the best of intentions, but they never quite integrated the adopted child into their family of biological children. And after a couple of rough years, they dissolved the adoption and we ended up welcoming this eight-year-old girl into our home. For one reason or another, whenever our daughter's previous family vacationed at Disney World, they took their biological children with them, but then they left their adopted daughter with a family friend. And usually, at least in the child's mind, this happened because she did something wrong that precluded her presence on the trip. And so by the time we adopted our daughter, she had seen many pictures of Disney World, and she had heard about the rides and the characters and the parades. But when it came to passing through the gates of the Magic Kingdom, she had always been the one left on the outside. Once I found out about this history, I'd made plans to take her to Disney World the next time a speaking engagement took our family to the southeastern United States. Unfortunately, the prospect of visiting Disney World produced a stream of downright devilish behavior in our newest daughter. In the month leading up to our trip to the Magic Kingdom, she stole food when a simple request would have gained her a snack. She lied when it would have been easier to tell the truth. She whispered insults that were carefully crafted to hurt her older sister as deeply as possible. 
and as the days on the calendar moved closer to the trip, her mutinies multiplied. A couple of days before our family headed to Florida, I pulled our daughter into my lap to talk through her latest escapade. I know what you're doing, I know what you're going to do, she said. You're not taking me to Disney World, are you? The thought hadn't actually crossed my mind, but her downward spiral suddenly started to make some sense. She knew she couldn't earn her way into the Magic Kingdom. She had tried and failed that test several times before. So she was living in a way that placed her as far away from the po as possible from the most magical kingdom on earth. <laughs> in retrospect, I'm embarrassed to admit that in that moment, I was tempted to turn her fear to my advantage. The easiest response would have been, if you, if you don't start behaving, you're right, we, we won't be taking you. But by God's grace, I didn't. Instead, I asked her, is this trip something we're doing as a family? She nodded. Are you part of this family? She nodded again. Then you're going with us. Sure, there may be some consequences to help you remember what's right and what's wrong, but you're part of our family, and we're not leaving you behind. I'd like to say that her behavior grew better that moment, but it didn't. Her choices pretty much spiraled out of control at every hotel and every rest stop on the way to Lake Buena Vista. Still, we headed to Disney World on the day we had promised, and it was a typical Disney day. Overpriced tickets, overpriced meals, and lots of lines, mingled with just enough manufactured magic to consider maybe going again someday. In our hotel room that evening, a very different child emerged. She was exhausted, pensive, and a little weepy at times, but her, her month-long facade of rebellion had faded, and when bedtime rolled away, I prayed with her, held her, and asked her, so how was your first day at Disney World? She closed her eyes and snuggled into her stuffed unicorn. And after a few moments, she opened her eyes ever so slightly. Daddy, she said, I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. It wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. That is what prevenient grace is. Grace isn't a favor you can achieve by being good. It's the gift of a God who loves you. Outrageous grace is God's goodness that comes looking for you when you've done nothing but stick your middle finger at God's face and rebelled against him. It's a farmer paying a full day's wages to a crew of deadbeat day followers who only work for a single hour like Jesus talked about in Matthew 20. It's a man marrying an abandoned woman and then refusing to forsake his covenant with her when he finds out that she is a whore, a hooker, like Hosea. It's the insanity of a shepherd who puts 99 sheep at risk to go and go and search for the one single lamb who can't follow instructions and wants to go out on its own way. It's the love of a father who hands over his finest rings and robes to a young man who has squandered his inheritance on drunken binges with his fair-weather friends in Luke 15. It's one-way love that calls you into the kingdom. Not because you're good, but because he wants you to be his. He created you, and he made you, and he loves you. And he will chase you to the ends of the world. My brother, my brother was not living for the Lord in his last few years and pretty much 
tortured the rest of us with it. But you know something? No matter what my brother did, my mom and my dad still loved him. And there are some of your parents here today, and you've got wayward children. You know what I'm talking about. And if you can still love your kids despite all that, think how much greater the love of the Father is for us all. He loves you. He seeks you. He's coming after you. All he asks and all he wants is for you to surrender to him and embrace him. Because he's not coming because you're good. He's coming because you are his. Bow your heads with me this morning. Father, today I'm overwhelmed by your grace. I'm overwhelmed by your grace to me. And God, this morning there may be somebody who's in this service or watching online today. And for some reason they think that they have done something or they've been so horrible that you don't love them today. But I pray right now in this moment, I pray during this message they have heard you loud and clear that your spirit would speak to them right now and your grace would say, I love you and that they would embrace that grace no matter what they've done it's not about deserving it it's about it's about embracing what you have done and what you are giving god today you are coming after them you're coming after me you're coming after us lord today all we know to do is surrender and father Father, today, if you would just help us, maybe there's somebody that says, I just need to surrender to him and give my life to him. What do I have to do? All you have to do is surrender. All you have to do is say, I want what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. I want to be forgiven today, and I want to be one of your children. Undeserving, but never unloved. Oh God, today, would you welcome them into the kingdom this morning. Forgive their sin. Wash it all away. May your grace fill them and save them today. And make them your child. And God, today there may be somebody who's a follower of Jesus, but maybe some of us have let our biases step in the way of becoming gracious people. God, I don't want to ever stand in the way of anyone embracing your love and your grace. So might we, like Peter, be obedient. God, whatever you need to do, whatever that person is who I think you can't save, God, will you help me to embrace and know that you can and you will, and I want to be a part of the story. God, today, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me. And God, I pray that for those this morning who have asked you for forgiveness of their sins and for you to come in their heart and be the king of their life, I pray, God, today that you would change them. May they feel the embrace of your love and may they be filled with your grace today. All that we are and all that we have, we owe to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.